we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. Is there a way of life, having understood pleasure and fear, which is joyous, which is enjoyment, not the carrying over of pleasure from day to day? Hello and welcome to episode 205 of Urgency of Change. Each episode of the Krishnamurti podcast features carefully chosen extracts from the archives. Their aim is to represent different aspects of Krishnamurti's radical approach to many of the issues and questions we all face in our lives. This week's theme is joy. Upcoming themes are illusion, virtue and division. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust, based at Brockwood Park in Hampshire, UK. Brockwood is also home to Brockwood Park School, a unique international boarding school offering a personalised holistic education. It is deeply inspired by Krishnamurti's teaching, which encourages academic excellence, self-understanding, creativity and integrity. Please visit brockwood.org.uk for more information. You can also find our regular Krishnamurti quotes and videos on Instagram, TikTok and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review or rating on your podcast app. This helps our visibility. This week's episode on joy has five sections. This first extract is from Krishnamurti's fourth talk in New Delhi, 1966, titled Joy is Entirely Different from Pleasure. Conflict will continue as long as you are seeking pleasure. (coughs) Because most of us want pleasure. That's the thing we live by. Sexual pleasure, appetite of various kinds, uh, pleasure that you derive from a status, position, prestige, out of your capacity, out of your knowledge, pleasure. And pleasure arises, comes into being, put together through thought. That's fairly simple, isn't it? Thought creates pleasure. I think about something, something that has given me pleasure for a moment, I think about it, and the more I think about it, the more I give strength to that pleasure. It's fairly simple, sir, how pleasure begins. And as long as the mind is seeking pleasure, there is always fear of not having it. And as long as there is fear, there is effort, to run away from it, to resolve from, to resolve it, to do something which is a waste of energy. You understand? To see the structure, the meaning of pleasure, just to understand it, not intellectually. Now, wait a minute. There is so much to be said one so little time. You know the word understanding is so misused. We say, I understand intellectually, which is sheer nonsense. 
you don't understand anything intellectually. What you mean when you say, I understand intellectually, is, I understand the words that you are using, and I understand the meaning of those words, but not the content of the whole thing. You can only understand something totally when you are listening to it silently and completely. And this happens to all of us. You understand something completely when you are quiet. Out of silence there is understanding, not out of your chattering. So, to understand the nature of pleasure, the structure, how it begins very unexpectedly, very slowly, without your knowing, you see a beautiful sunset, a lovely face, or some kind of sexual or other experience, and you want it to repeat it. The repetition is, is the process of thinking about it. And the more you repeat, the more mechanical. You can go every evening to look at the sunset, but you'll never see it, because out of that sunset you are deriving a pleasure. You're not looking at the sunset. You want the pleasure which that sunset gave you two days ago. So, as long as there is any demand for pleasure, there must be conflict. But we are not talking of puritanical banishment of pleasure. On the contrary, if you understand the whole structure of pleasure, then you will have tremendous joy in life. Because joy is entirely different from pleasure. You cannot think about joy, but you can think about pleasure. Right? You have noticed. So, one has to understand not only effort, but the whole meaning and the significance of pleasure. Not cut away pleasure, which monks have tried hmm, in their monasteries. In the sannyasi will never look at a woman huh, because he's so frightened, he, and so on and on and on. Because to them, pleasure is something very wrong. They consider it sin, and therefore they destroyed the vitality of understanding. But they have said, this is wrong. They never examined the whole structure of pleasure. So one has to understand not only effort, but also pleasure. Because in pleasure there is fear, and therefore pain. You understand? Where there is the search for pleasure, there is fear. And it's this fear that creates pain. So if you are willing to put up with pleasure, with fear and pain, go to it. But know all the implications of it. Don't just slip into it. But if you give your whole attention to it, <coughs> then you will find that you can look at a sunset and not let pleasure creep in which means thought, wanting the repetition of it. Therefore, when you look at a sunset, or at a face, or anything, at a bird, or the, or the beauty of water, a sheet of water shimmering in the sun, when you look at it, that is, without thought, there in that there is tremendous joy. Therefore, there is no pain, no fear. And therefore, end to effort, and 
we also make an effort when we are trying to become something. Schoolboy is trying to become the pass an examination. He's becoming. He's making an effort. One ha this is not the occasion to talk about the whole business of education, but we won't touch it for the moment. Inwardly, we want to be something. I do not know if you have noticed ever in yourself how you are craving to be somebody famous, full of knowledge, you know, all the things that one imagines. Why do we do this? Why do we want to be somebody? Why do we want to be the hero? like somebody else. You understand, sir? Have you... most of you do. Why? Again one has to understand this, because inwardly we are empty, we are shallow human beings, shoddy little human beings. I do not know if you have ever seen a horse galloping at full strength, and a little man is riding on top of it. The horse is much more graceful, more beautiful, full of power and enjoyment, <coughs> and the man who owns that, little, that horse, and the man who owns it is a very small man with a little mind, frightened. And that's what we are. We want to be outwardly something, but inwardly we are utterly empty, full of memories, full of knowledge which are all... Some, which are the past, which are dead ashes of something which we have lived or remembered or experienced. And because we are empty, we are frightened of that, and therefore we are trying everlastingly to become something. But if we gave complete attention to that emptiness, not trying to alter it, not trying to say, well, I must feel it, I must do something about it, when you are completely attentive of that emptiness, you will see, you can go beyond it. And then there is no attempt to be anything. Then you will know what it is to be without a demand. Then it is a light to itself. The second extract is from the fourth talk in Sanan, 1977, titled Thought Turns Joy into Pleasure. So we are going to investigate together. Please bear in mind together. What is the significance and the meaning of pleasure? which every <coughs> human being is seeking, which every human being is pursuing, at any cost. <coughs> what is pleasure? The pleasure derived from possession, the pleasure derived from capacity, talent, the, the pleasure when you can dominate another, the pleasure of being, having tremendous power politically, religiously or economically. Then there is the pleasure of sex, 
the pleasure that money gives, so that you have great sense of freedom. And there are all <coughs> multiple forms of pleasure. And if you observe very carefully, look at yourself as though you are looking at yourself in a mirror, you will see that you are pursuing the same pleasure. It may not be money, it may not be many possessions, but it may be through sex. Or <coughs> clinging to a particular form of experience which has given you great delight, holding on to that. Or a particular conclusion, an ideological conclusion that gives you a sense of great superiority which is a form of pleasure. <coughs> so, what actually is the meaning of pleasure? You understand? The word, not the pleasure derived from something, but the, the essence of pleasure. Because we discussed the other day when we met the nature of fear, and whether human beings, you as a human being, representative of all humanity, can be free completely, totally of fear. We went into that very carefully, and I do not think we will go into it again today, because we won't have time. So we are asking, What is the nature and the structure of pleasure, which every human being is seeking? <coughs> In pleasure there are seven things, which is, there is enjoyment. There is a sense of joy, pleasure, enjoyment, joy, and further on, ecstasy. In the field of pleasure, these are involved pleasure, joy, taking delight in something, and the sense of ecstasy. The word, the meaning of the word ecstasy, please understand what it means, the root meaning, is to be beyond yourself. You understand? There is no self to enjoy. It is the self that is the me, the ego, the personalities, all has all totally disappeared. Only there is that sense of being outside. That is ecstasy. But that ecstasy has nothing whatsoever to do with pleasure. So we're going to look carefully at pleasure, the meaning of it in which is included joy, taking a delight in something, and so on. I hope you, you, are, you want to go into this. And you may not want to go into it, because you may be frightened. Because you say, for God's sake, if you take away pleasure, what have we in life? We are not taking away pleasure. We are not saying it's ugly, wrong, anything of that. We are examining it. But if you say, well, don't examine it too closely because I'm frightened, then please don't examine. 
But if you want to understand it, see the significance of it, go into it very deeply, then you must there must be no blockage by your fear. We said, what is pleasure? You take a delight in something, delight in the delight that comes naturally when you look at something very beautiful. At that moment, there is neither, at that second, there is neither pleasure nor joy. There is only that sense of great observation. And in that observation, the self is not. Right? When you look at that mountain with their snow cap, with their valleys, the, gr- the grandeur, the magnificence, the extraordinary line of it drives away all thought. There it is, that great thing in front of you. That's a delight. Then thought comes along and says, what a marvellous thing that was! What a lovely experience that was! Then the memory of that perception is cultivated. Then that cultivation becomes pleasure. So, where thought interferes with the sense of beauty, the sense of greatness, grandeur of anything a poet, a piece of poetry, a sheet of water, or a marvellous tree in a lonely field, seeing it and not registering it. You, you follow? This is, please understand, this is important. The moment you register it, the beauty of it, then that very registration sets thought into action. Then that seeing of that beauty and the desire to pursue that beauty becomes pleasure. Get it? Do you understand? Are we, are we moving together somewhere? One sees a beautiful woman or a man, and instantly it is registered in the brain. Right? Don't you? It is a fact, isn't it? Then that very registration sets thought into motion, and you want to to be in her company or all the rest of it follows. So, pleasure is the continuation and the cultivation of an incident by thought, which gives a continuity. You have had sexual experience last night or two weeks ago, you remember it, and the repetition of it, which is the demand for pleasure. It's fairly obvious. So the point here is, is it possible not to register? Do you understand? The function of the brain is to register, because in registration it is secure, it knows what to do. Right? And in registration, knowing what to do, in which there is security, (coughs) there is the development of skill. Right? Then that skill becomes great pleasure, which is 
a talent, a gift. All that is the movement of the continuation of thought through desire and pleasure. You understand this, Bene? So we are inquiring into the question of what is the nature and the structure of pleasure. Pleasure is the continuation of an incident given that continuation by thought. So thought is the root of pleasure. Right? If you had no thought, you saw a beautiful thing, it would end. But thought says, no, I must have that more, you know, the whole movement of thought. So what is the relationship of pleasure to joy? You understand? Joy comes to you uninvited. It happens. You're walking along in a street or sitting in a bus or wandering in the woods, seeing the flowers, the hills and the clouds and the blue sky, and suddenly there is an extraordinary feeling of great joy. Then Registration, thought says, what a marvellous thing that was, I must have more of it. So joy is made into pleasure by thought. The third extract is from Krishnamurti's fifth talk in Sanan, 1970, titled a joy untouched by thought and pleasure. What has happened to the mind, to the brain, that has listened to all this? Listened, not merely heard a few words, but actually listened, uh, shared, communicated, uh, learned. What has happened to that mind? You have listened to my question. What has happened to your mind that has listened, not verbally, just superficially, but actually with tremendous attention, awareness of your own fears, that has listened to this, listened to the explanation, listened to the problem, listened to the complexity of it, seen the, how thought breeds fear as well as pleasure, and sustains it, what has happened to the quality of the mind that has so listened, that is, to your mind, to your heart? What has happened to your mind? Examine it, find out. Is it different? entirely from the moment it began, when we began this morning and now? Or is it the same repetitive mind, caught in pleasure and fear? Is there a new quality or a, a mind that is learning? You follow? Not saying it's must put an end to fear or to pleasure, but a mind that has, by observing, has learned, is learning. Hmm? And therefore what has happened to such a mind? Please. It has become totally silent, which is what? Shocked. Shocked by all this? <laughs> no, sir, don't. Look what has happened to your mind and heart that has observed all this, 
this morning by listening, discussing, inquiring, learning, being curious, see how the how thought breeds fear and pleasure and all the consequences of its activity. What has happened to your mind? Hasn't your mind become little more sensitive? <laughs> huh? Hasn't it? Before you just walked, carrying this burden of fear and pleasure, by learning the weight of the burden, hmm, haven't you slightly put it aside? Haven't you dropped it and therefore walking very carefully? One moment, wait, let me finish. You'll discuss. I'm going because I'm not finished with this thing. <laughs> so, your mind, if you have really followed this, listen to it, share it together, learn together. Your mind, by observing, not through determination, not through effort, but merely observing, it has become sensitive and therefore very intelligent. Right? I don't, please, don't agree. If it is not sensitive, it is not sensitive. Don't play the game. So next time fear arises, as it will, intelligence will respond to it, not in terms of pleasure, in terms of sub, su- suppressing or escaping. You follow? This intelligent, sensitive mind, which has been, which has come about by putting aside and by examining, learning, looking at this burden, it has put it aside and therefore it has become astonishingly alive, sensitive. Then it can ask a quite a different question, which is, If pleasure is not the way of life as it has been for most people, for most of us, then is life barren? You understand? Is life dry? Or what is the difference between pleasure and joy? Does it mean I can never enjoy life? And look, please don't agree this the most. Find out. You enjoyed life before in terms of pleasure and fear. The instant pleasure, sex, drink, uh, killing an animal, eating food, stuffing yourself with dead animals and all the rest of it. The instant pleasure, and that's been your way of life. And you suddenly discover, by examining, looking, that pleasure isn't, isn't the way at all, because it leads to fear to frustration, to misery, to sorrow, to other great sociological, sociological as well as personal disturbances and so on. So you ask quite a different question now. Say, what is joy? Is there joy? which is untouched by thought and pleasure. 
because if it is touched by thought, it becomes again pleasure, and therefore fear, right? So, is there a way of living daily? Is there a way of living daily, having understood pleasure and fear, a way of life which is joyous, which is enjoyment, not the carrying over of pleasure from day to day, and the fear? You have understood my question? Are you all getting tired? Look, sir, you know what enjoyment is? To look at that, those mountains with the beauty of the valley, the light on the hills and the trees and the flowing river, to enjoy it. And when do you enjoy it? When you say, how marvellous it is! When the mind, when thought is not using that as a means of pleasure, right? You are following what I am? Look, you can look at that mountain or the face of a woman or a man, the lines of a valley, the, the movement of a tree, and take tremendous delight in it. When you have done that, it's finished. But if you carry it over, then this pain and pleasure begin. Are you understanding all this? Can you look and finish with it? Be careful of this. Be very watchful of this. That is, can you look at that mountain and not be absorbed by the beauty of the mountain? like a child with a toy, being absorbed by the toy, and return to your mischief again. But to look at that beauty, and the very look, is enough. The delight in it, but not to carry it over, wishing tomorrow. Which means, see the danger, that is, the instant pleasure, sexual or otherwise, hmm? you can also play that trick on that, can't you? Huh? Oh Lord! No? You see it, do you? You can have some great pleasure and say it's over. But is it over? Is not the mind going consciously or unconsciously building, chewing over it, thinking about it, wishing it to happen again? So, thought has nothing whatsoever with joy. See, all this is. Tremendous discovery for yourself, not being told, not write about it and interpret it for some, somebody to read. So there is a vast difference between delight, enjoyment, joy, bliss and pleasure.
I do not know if you have not noticed. All the religious pictures in the Western world avoid any kind of sensuous pleasure taking place. Have you noticed it? Oh, I won't go into all that. Sorry. No, 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 no. Because it's it's so obvious. <laughs> if you saw early pictures before Giotto, before all the pictures, you would notice Cimabue and so on. There is no scenery at all, right? Only the human body in tortured or the Virgin Mary and so on, so on. Hmm? There is no landscape. Because that distracted you. Hmm? That was pleasure. Therefore, be concerned with the pic- with the figure, the symbol of that figure, what it implies, all that stuff. Only much later this thing came on, the introduction of the scenery. Whereas in China and in India it was part of life. You are understanding all this? I'm not, this is not a school, please. I'm not a professor. (laughs) So, you can observe all this and find out the beauty of living, and there is, in which there is no effort but living with great ecstasy, in which Joy in which pleasure and thought and fear doesn't enter at all. The fourth extract is from the eighth talk in Bombay, 1962, titled Simplicity and Joy. To inquire into the nature of the religious mind, that state of mind which is free from this conflict of the self. We must inquire into simplicity. To find out what it is to be simple. Not the idea of simplicity, not the ideal of simplicity, not the symbol of simplicity, but the actual state of a mind that is really simple. (laughs) I mean by that word to face every fact of every day and every minute without any complexity, to look at facts without the complex process of thought, to look at facts without ideation, without ideals, and such simplicity not in mere clothes, not the loincloth and one meal a day and the long beard or clean-shaven face, but the simplicity that has no conflict, simplicity that has precision when it is has to think. That has no illusion. That has no future. The fact 
and only the fact, and nothing else but the fact. And such a mind, such an approach to life does bring, does bring about an extraordinary sense of joy, <laughs> because very few of us are happy naturally, easily, spontaneously. We are so complex, we have so many problems. Everything we touch, either by the hand or by the mind, becomes ugly. And when something becomes ugly, cruel, vulgar, there is no sensitivity, and therefore there is no appreciation of things as they are. It is only in the understanding of things as they are, actually facing things as they are, out of that comprehension there is revolution. The revolution is not brought about according to a pattern of someone else, of the economist, of the reformer, of the politician, but the revolution of which we are talking about comes into being when you can see the fact and act according to that fact from moment to moment. And in so acting you will find out of that simplicity there is an extraordinary sense of not only relief, a sense of unburdening, but out of that there comes a deep joy. Because without joy, without the spark, without a song in one's heart, life becomes so utterly empty. You may be very clever, you may have big houses, you may occupy very important position. You may influence thousand people through newspapers, but behind that facade of words, position, prestige and power, there is a hollowness. And such a mind is not a creative mind. And it is important for the individual, for each one of us, to be, to have this sense of unending joy. It does come, not because you, are, you have got a job, not because you are happily married or unhappily married. It has no reason. And there is that joy. And you can only come to it darkly, unknowingly, when you understand the simplicity of virtue. Virtue is not something to be striven after. then it ceases to be virtue. When a man who is vain practices humility, then that humility is the essence of vanity. But virtue 
is order. Just to have order in one's mind. And you cannot have order if it is merely a pattern after the sanction of society. If it is merely a practice, a habit, then the mind is made dull. And a dull mind is not a virtuous mind. It may have excellent habits, it may never get angry, it may be self-righteous and comply to the commands of society. But such a mind is not a sensitive mind and therefore not a virtuous mind. Do please listen to this, not that you are suddenly going to become virtuous, you will suddenly, on the instant, be virtuous, which is not after the pattern of an ugly, corrupting society, but you will have order and space in that order. Because that order brings about efficiency. It is the efficient mind, efficient thought that has not conflict, that is a virtuous mind, that lives virtuously. Because virtue, which is the result of conflict, which is the result of constant striving, which is the battle of the opposites. Such a mind not only becomes insensitive, but is incapable of swift flight. And it is only the efficient mind that is capable of rapidity, that sees things in, in a flash. For truth is perceived only in a flash. Truth has no continuity. What has continuity is of time. And what has time has no space, and it is only a mind that has space can see in a flash what is true. And it is only the virtuous mind that has space. And therefore, only such a mind that can see the immensity, that which is eternal in a flash. Because virtue is not the outcome of memory. If virtue is the outcome of memory, then virtue is a reaction to memory. Reaction is a reflex of memory. And such virtue as is recognized by society, by religious orders, by groups, such virtue does breed conflict. And therefore such a mind is not a simple mind. You know, the world is becoming more and more complex. Your relationship with another 
is getting more and more complex, not simpler. And the complexity of life can only be understood when you approach it very simply, really very, very simply. Life is not merely your daily existence, going to the office, the quarrels with your wife and with your husband, the nagging, the misery, the conflict of everyday existence. But life includes not only the past, which project, projects uh, as the future, but life also includes death. Life includes happiness. And life also includes something beyond, beyond time, beyond thought, beyond feeling. And to comprehend this enormous totality of life, not your little corner of existence, not the little place of, on the earth which you call your country. Nor the little temple built by hand which has no meaning. But life is this extraordinary thing, a total thing, in which all this is included. And without understanding, the immensity of life, in which everything, every cry, every tear, every song of every bird, the anguish, the misery, the travail of existence, without understanding the totality of it, you will never have a flash of that immensity. And to understand this extraordinary thing called life, with its sexual demands, with its ambitious drives, with its frustrations, old age, decline and deterioration. To understand life, you must come to it very simply, and that's our difficulty, because we are such complex human beings. We have so many ideas, we are so clever, we are all second-hand people. There is nothing original in you. There is nothing original. And it is the originality that is, makes for simplicity, not eccentricity, not the capacity to invent, but the simplicity of a mind that has understood all the facets of life. Not the technical life, not the life of accumulated knowledge, because knowledge and technical knowledge can expand indefinitely. You will know more and more about Venus, about Mars, about the Moon, how to get there, but less and less about yourself, what you are. And what you are is the totality of life because you are miserable, unhappy, all the anguish, guilt and the agony that one goes through silently 
और उफल ले and if you don't understand yourself and you can understand yourself who are a complex entity by approaching it very very simply to look at yourself and out of that perception out of that seeing out of that listening to yourself not to your higher self there is no higher self there is no atman but the invention of the mind they're all the result of thought and thought is the response of the mind of the things that have been and so when you look at yourself every day in, in every word feel your way into the depths of your own heart and mind then out of that looking seeing listening and hearing there comes simplicity and out of that simplicity there is joy and that is virtue The final extract in this episode is from a direct recording by Krishnamurti in 1983 titled A Sense of Great Joy. At the end of every leaf, large leaf and a tiny leaf, there was a drop of water sparkling in the sun like an extraordinary jewel. And there was a slight breeze, but that breeze didn't just in any way disturb or destroy the drop on those leaves that were washed clean by the late rain. It was a very quiet morning, full of delight, peaceful. and a sense of benediction was in the air and as you watched the leaf and this sparkling bright light on every clean leaf the earth became extraordinary in spite of all the telegraph wires and their ugly posts in spite of these of those shops and all the noise of the world the earth was rich abiding enduring and though there were earthquakes here and there most destructive the earth was still beautiful One never appreciates the earth unless one really lives with it, works with it. Put your hands in the dust, lifting the big rocks and stones, and using pickaxe and crowbar. You never know the extraordinary sense of being with the earth, the flowers, the gigantic trees. and the strong grass the hedges along the road everything was alive at moment and you watched and there was a sense of great joy and, and the heavens were blue and the sun was slowly coming out of the hills and there was light as you watched the mocking bird and the wah electric or telephone it was doing its antics jumping high doing a somersault 
come down in the same spot on the wall. She watched, was enjoying itself, jumping in the air, flying in the air, and then coming down, circling. As you watched it, the shrill cries and the enjoyment of life, only that bird existed. The watcher didn't exist, was no longer there. Only the bird, grey and white, with longish tail, and that watching without any movement of thought, and watching the glory of the bird that was enjoying itself. We never watch long, watch with great patience, watch without any sense of your, the watcher. Then time ceased, time had stopped.